Ephesians chapter 2. We starting at verse 1. We looked at the first two verses last week. So we'll pick it up from there. As you're turning there, if uh, you just bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and uh, we love your word. And we just pray, Lord, that your word uh, would not be twisted today. That it would not be perverted or corrupted, but that your word would be proclaimed uh, from this pulpit. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, since I'm a fallible man, that you would anoint me with your spirit, that you would cancel the man, and that you would help me to uh, proclaim your word. Anoint me to proclaim your word so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, that you get, give everyone here the courage to test what is taught from this pulpit with, uh, with your word and give us all understanding so that we can correctly, uh, rightly divide the word of truth, rightly understand and interpret the word of God. And I pray that uh, your spirit would not just illuminate our minds to understand your word, but that your spirit would also empower us to, to love your word and apply uh, the truths that we learn today to our lives so that we could be pleasing in your sight. And remind us, Lord, constantly, not just when we're in this fat passage, remind us that salvation is something we do not deserve. None of us can earn our salvation. And so I pray, Lord, that we would never water down the gospel of grace. That salvation is a free gift, and uh, we receive this free gift through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus, trusting in him alone for salvation, and that it is not of works. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would be uh, true disciples of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and that in good days and bad days, we would proclaim the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus, until he returns in glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So Ephesians chapter 2 and um, we looked at the first couple verses there last week, and I'm just going to start over to re refresh your memory. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And you know, this speaks of all of us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, spiritually dead, spiritually separated from fellowship with God. Okay. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. And we talked about that, how we should not walk outwardly conformed to the pattern of this world, this evil world system that is opposed to our Lord. Okay? Um, instead, we should allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. But before we were saved, we walked in accordance uh, to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that's Satan himself, the god of this age. You know, God gave man dominion over the earth in the garden, but then uh, Satan stole it from us, deceived us, and so now he's the prince of the power of the air. And of course, Jesus, through his death, resurrection, and return, he's going to defeat Satan. But in the meantime, uh, we were slaves to Satan, whether we knew it or not, until uh, Jesus uh, set us free. And, and now we're on, uh, and then we were sons of disobedience, rather than obeying the Lord, obeying Satan, and obeying everything, doing things that were opposed to the one who created us. And now we come to verse 3, among whom also... We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, God's anger, just as the others. Okay? And so Paul's saying, you and we, he's including both Gentile and Jew here. Okay? And so we were controlled by 
by the lust of the flesh, the sinful desires and passionate longings, what we commonly call lust, lust of the, the flesh. The word in the Greek is sarx. Uh, we would spell it S-A-R-X. And uh, often it, it means the sin nature, um, the sin nature, which is uh, man's fallen nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. Now, now sex can, sarx can also mean body, but not here. Uh, when, when Jesus when it says that the word became flesh, the logos became flesh, Jesus didn't take on sinful flesh, okay? And um, so it doesn't always, you have to look at the context. Is flesh talking about just the weaknesses of humanity? Jesus had limitations like we have. Or does the flesh mean the sinful flesh? And in this context, it means the sinful flesh, the fallen nature. There's another word for body, soma, uh, which literally just means body. But sarks can mean body, but it can also mean the fallen sinful nature. And we were slaves to sin before we came to Christ. In fact, look at um, Romans 6, 17 and 18. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So if we're believers right now, we're supposed to be slaves of righteousness. Even though we don't always act like slaves of righteousness, on a really bad day, some of us act like, myself included, some of us act like we're a slave to sin. But we're not slaves of sin. If you're born again through the power of the Holy Spirit, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, you are now a slave of righteousness. Okay? Paul's talking about the Ephesians before they got saved. And he's talking about us before we got saved. We were slaves uh, to sin. We were controlled by the desires of the flesh. And so before we were saved, um, the lusts and the will of our sin natures controlled us. And, um, and being unsaved, we were unable to serve God. Okay? And uh, now it's important that we understand here Sometimes when we hear the phrase, the lust of the flesh, we're thinking like, oh, wow, I'm not really that tempted to sexual immorality. And we're thinking of just the, the physical aspects of sin. But Paul here also talks about uh, the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So even if outwardly in the flesh, we might look good before others. If we're not saved, their minds are still all messed up. And I really encourage you, as believers, take your walk with the Lord Jesus seriously. Okay? So that hopefully, if somebody spied on you for an entire week, hopefully they would actually be confused and think, wow, you went the entire week without sinning. Okay? Fight the battle of, with sin in your mind so that it doesn't come out. It's the overflow of the mind and the heart that comes out uh, outwardly. So it's my hope and my prayer. Too many of us Christians, we say, well, I didn't outwardly do anything, you know? I didn't beat anybody this last week. Man, I must be a holy man. Yeah, well, did you think about beating somebody up? Did you desire to beat somebody up? So, you, I mean, you, we can lower the bar all we want. You can say, oh, I can earn heaven because I'm better than Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin were. Well, try measuring yourself up against Jesus of Nazareth, okay? Then all of a sudden, you realize you can't earn that. 
But keep in mind, sin not only occurs in the realm of the flesh, but also in the desires of the mind. Okay? You could be, you know, some guy could be outwardly obedient to God's commands like Paul was. And intellectually, he could be so brilliant, he could have an arrogance and worship the intellect. And, and in, in reality there, he's serving the flesh in that manner. So just keep in mind, don't, don't just look at what, how you outwardly are. A godly man, or we're not perfect till Jesus comes back. A godly man or a godly woman is someone who battles the desires of sin in the mind. Okay? So we don't even see them outwardly. But by the way, if you find these people um, and you say, man, I, I, I spied on you for a whole week and I didn't see you committing any sin, they'll tell you, oh, I'm, I'm really glad you can't read minds. Okay? And, um, you know, um, I mean, some people, turning the other cheek has never been easy for me. You know, I grew up in the in New Jersey where you were taught somebody badmouths your family, you take them down, take them down hard. And that's a, that's a pretty tough thing to apply when you're not even five and a half feet tall, okay? And, um, um, you know, so... Uh, and then I went in boot camp. I actually learned how to turn the other cheek even before I became a Christian. Because the first thing my drill instructors were doing was bad-mouthing my family, get up in my face. And it's just like, well, number one, if I hit this guy, um, you know, Marine Corps is going to kick me out after throwing me in the brig for a while. And number two, if I hit this guy, he's a big guy. He's, he's probably going to hit me back. So... Um, so I was actually learning how to turn the other cheek even before I became a Christian. But that's, that's not easy for me. And so there's times when somebody will say something and I, I'll think, you know, man, I ought to smack that guy. And then I got to rebuke that thought. I say, Lord, I am so sorry. I don't even know why I was, I was thinking that way. But keep in mind, sin does not only occur outwardly in the flesh, but also in the mind. Okay? So, um, you know, if you tell me, you know, hey, and there's some Christians who think this. I'm sinless now. I don't, I've attained a sinless perfection. Well, dude, you just lied. Okay? So, um, um, but whatever the case, uh, keep in mind, we'll, we'll address that, that fact as well. But we were controlled by the lust of the flesh, controlled by the desires of the flesh, and controlled by the desires of the mind. Okay? And that made us children of wrath. Uh, the, the word means the, it's kind of an abiding condition of anger. It's like God doesn't have emotions like us where he gets happy and sad. He has one constant, eternal, you know, he's immutable, unchangeable. But he has an abiding wrath or anger against uh, sin. And we were children of that. That's the only thing between us and God. We're just like, man, because we were sinful, we were under God's uh, wrath. Now look at John 3.36. Gospel of John, chapter 3, and verse 36. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son, he who believes in Jesus, has everlasting life. So if you trust in Jesus alone for salvation, the true Jesus of the Bible, God the Son become a man who died on the cross for our sins, uh, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the anger of God abides on him. So if you're not trusting in Jesus for salvation, the anger of God remains on you. You need reconciliation. You need peace to be made between you and God. And that reconciliation only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so we're, we were children of wrath. All unbelievers are under God's wrath. The only escape from God's wrath is to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Noah's Ark was the only escape from the global flood, 
we need to be in Christ uh, to be to escape uh, God's e eternal wrath. Okay. Now I want us to look at a couple passages. I want us to look at well, what are the deeds of the flesh? Okay. And then I want us to look at what is the fruit of the spirit, so we can see the difference that should be in our lives now that we claim to trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. Okay? And, um, you know, Joe McCarthy, our history books act like he was a really... Senator Joe McCarthy, he was like a bad guy. He was on this witch hunt, you know, okay? Well, there were really witches. There were card-carrying members of the Communist Party who were in the State Department, and, and Senator Joe McCarthy, being a former Marine, he believed that's covered by freedom of speech. It's not against the law to be a communist, he thought. That's how tolerant he was. However, when you get appointed by elected officials to serve in the State Department in our federal government, and you take an oath to defend the Constitution from enemies both uh, foreign and domestic, that contradicts your being a member of the Communist Party in America when the goal of the Communist Party is to take over America from within. And so it amazes me when pastors are acting like, wow, this battle with Marxism and it's going on right now. It's like kind of, you know, from the human standpoint, we need a miracle, brothers and sisters. From the human standpoint, when Joe McCarthy went down, I was at the 1950s, we lost. Once we said it's okay for communists to be high-ranking members in the United States government, um, it was pretty much over. And, um, and now, if you say, I want to make America great again, I want to put America first, I want to use American taxpayers' money to defend the United States, and I want America to remain sovereign, that's now defined as racism. Okay? Um, well, we got to decide which side we're on. Okay? We pledge allegiance to Jesus. When you trust in Him for salvation, you're saying, I am a follower of Christ. Okay? And so what I want to do is look at what do followers of Satan, the sons of disobedience, look like versus what do the children of God look like? Okay? And you might be a child of God, but you might look more like the other side. Okay? So that means you, you need to get, you need to get, it's, it's like you tell, what they say in sports, get your head in the game. We got a lot of brothers and sisters. Maybe some of us are that way. On a bad day, we're all that way. We need to get our heads in the game. We serve the Lord Jesus, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you to perform His will. So, uh, so what I want us to do is just look at just the two passages that give us a distinction, something to look at, a distinction between the sons, of sons and daughters of disobedience and the sons and daughters of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Now keep in mind, the passage we're looking at says what the entire Bible says. We're not served, saved by works. We're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. Good works are not the cause of salvation. Good works are the result of salvation. But if you don't see that result, you've got to scratch your head and, and ask the Lord, Lord, am I even saved? Okay? And, uh, and you know, we're not going to be perfect till Jesus comes back. But if you're the same rotten person you used to be before you professed faith in Christ, you've got to ask yourself, have I even met the king? It's like James says, James 2.26, faith without works 
is dead. Okay? So true saving faith will produce good works. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, those are people who are guilty of sexual immorality, nor idolaters, those who worship false gods, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified or declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay? So now, now you might be looking at it and saying, well, I'm not sexually immoral. Okay? Uh, you might say, well, I, I'm not an idolater. Um, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a homosexual. Okay? I'm not a thief. Uh, but do you covet? I think we all covet to a certain degree. You know, even pastors covet. I remember my friend Paul Eckley. You know, we'd love to have a place that we could call our own, that we could really be a community church and meet throughout the week if we want, and um, a place to have Bible studies and all. I remember Paul Eckley called me up because they were meeting in a little beat-up Gilberton community hall, and then, then they started renting uh, Trenton Avenue Baptist Church, meeting at like 8 in the morning, but then the, the pastor retired. The only people who were left in the church were too old, so they gave the church to Paul Eckley, Pastor Paul Eckley. And I remember when he called me up, and I heard about that. And the first, instead of rejoicing with his brother, the first reaction I had was, why him, Lord, and not me? Now, after about 25 good, solid pieces of evidence that God put in my head in rapid succession, you know, I told the Lord, okay, enough is enough. Okay, now I know why him and not me. The godly brother, and then I just rejoiced with him. But how many pastors do? You know, if we get a place, we want it to enhance our service to the Lord, our walks with the Lord and our service for the Lord and our service to our community, but we got to make sure we don't covet. Okay, and there's a thin line between having the right attitude and coveting. But basically what I'm saying is we need to look at these things and say, wait a minute, if I'm going out and coveting all the time and, and I'm a brawler and um, I cheat on my income taxes and I'm a drunkard or into drugs or whatever it may be, uh, you got to ask yourself, are you even saved? Because Paul says people who practice those things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now the good news is, Paul says, and such were some of you. So I don't, I don't want you leaving here today if that is a good description of you, who you used to be. I don't want you to get miserable because God's word says, and such were some of you. So if you or if I were some of these things, if you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, you're not that way anymore. You've been washed. You've been set apart. You've been declared righteous by the Lord Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you were like that, I don't want you to leave and feel miserable. I want you to leave this building and I want you to rejoice and the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only loves us to, enough to save us in the midst of our sin, but he loves us way too much to leave us there. The same grace that saves is a grace that changes and transforms lives. So I want you to leave today rejoicing. That's who I used to be. And such were some of you. If you leave today and you're still described in this passage, I want you to feel miserable. Okay? If you're outside of Jesus and outside of his salvation, I want you to feel lousy. 
okay? But I want you to do something about it, something reasonable about it. I want you to look to the only place of deliverance, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior uh, of our souls. Um, look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5. We're going to start at verse 16. I say then, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. We'll probably read all the way down through verse 23. Paul says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's that expression again. The lust of the flesh. That's who the Ephesians used to be before they got saved. That's, that's what we used to be before we got saved. And if it still describes us now, we gotta, we got to question ourselves. Do I really know the Lord Jesus? I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. By the way, that where Paul says you don't do the things that you wish, if um, some non-believers get disgusted with their sin and they don't want to be there anymore, okay? In this passage here, Paul's talking about believers, though. If you are a true believer, you'll never be happy in sin. I mean, you might, you might, there might be some pleasure in sin temporarily, but eventually you're going to be miserable. Eventually you're going to, it's, it's going to tear you up. I have a former student that's in the military and um, never took his faith seriously. Wasn't even sure if he was saved. And then he just kept lowering the bar morally until he found himself wallowing in the despair of sin to the point where it was like, this is not me. And then he turned things back over to the Lord and the Lord is, has been gracious to restore that which the locusts have devoured in his life. But, uh, but this is who he used to be. And he talks about the, the deeds or the works of the flesh. Okay, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we didn't, basically, when you're under the law, the law demands, God's holy demands, His righteous demands, and then in our own strength, we try to obey God's perfect standards and we fall short. That's what being under the law is. The law does not save. The law condemns. Okay? The law condemns, and then the law shows... You need a Savior. Galatians 3.24 The law became a tutor to lead us to Christ. A substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. So now we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. But guess what? Being under grace, those rules and regulations, now we obey the spirit of the law. We love God with everything we got. We love our neighbor uh, as ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're no longer under the technicalities of the law. Um, now, 99 out of 100 times when you obey the spirit of the law, you're also going to obey the letter of the law. But the fact of the matter is you no longer have a relationship with God's laws. You have a relationship with God, the lawgiver. And that empowers you from the heart to obey God's laws from the heart. Because God demands inward obedience not just outward conformity. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. Hatred. Man, you don't, you don't have to beat up somebody to hate them. Okay? And, and by the way... Um, The opposite of love is not hate. Okay? The opposite of love is selfishness. Okay? So love is unconditionally seeking the greatest good of others. You put yourself last. But whatever the case, there are times when we wish bad things on people 
when we hate people, and that's not a sign of a person filled with the Spirit. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions. You know, there's some people, they profess to be believers. Every church they go to, and they usually only last a year or two, all they do is they cause divisions. They nitpick on everything, every little thing. You know, I've had people come to our church for a while, and all they would do is talk about the fact that Pastor Phil is not a perfect pastor. Well, I knew that already. You have to tell me. Yeah, and you, you're missing a mark here. Yeah, all right, no, and you're in here. You know, it's just, after a while, I say, look, I'm just a bivocational pastor who's trying to preach the meat of the word. I'm not some famous guy or whatever. Why don't you start throwing rocks at the famous people? Leave the little pastors and kids. They leave us alone. You know, we're just just trying to serve Jesus. But there's some people, they think they have the spiritual gift of judgment. You know, of judging others. And they visit, they go, they go, they church off from church to church, church, destroying little churches. And, um, come on, where's the grace? Where's the love? But by the way, if I step outside of God's will, uh, you better confront me. And teachers incur stricter judgment because when a teacher falls, they could lead others um, astray. But I'm, I'm telling you, we got division-causing people who profess to be Christians. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, disassociate with them. Paul says, don't, don't, don't hang out with people like that. But we got people who call themselves Christians and they're more than willing to cause divisions in the body in an unjust manner. Now, if I start preaching heresy, there better be division in the church. There better be people who are going to stand up for God's truth. And if I'm not going to recant and get back to preaching God's truth, you need to boot me out and bring in uh, a pastor who's going to preach the word. And we got guys right here like John more, more than willing and able to do that. Um, but um, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, what? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, this is not salvation by works. But it's saying, once you are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, Jesus changes lives. Okay? You're not going to, you're going to be denying yourself. You're not going to be uh, living for yourself anymore. It's all about me. No, it's not. It's all about the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Paul says, look, before the Ephesians were saved, they were controlled by the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind. They were children of wrath. Now look at what Paul says, though. If you're saved, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Then he says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passion and desires. Okay? Now, so when you're, as a believer, when you're looking at your report card, okay, if you come down on the deeds of the flesh, you got you to gotta say, man, am I even saved? I need to come to Jesus moment because I don't think I had it yet. Okay? But if you're saved and you're, confident in your salvation because God's at work in you, then you get a new report card. And, you know, I, when I first read this as a new believer, I was like, okay, here's the deeds of the flesh. Oh, man, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Oh, I got to work on that and this and that. Well, there's the deeds of the flesh. But I wanted to see the deeds of the Spirit. Like, you know, giving money to the poor witnessing. I want to see what are the deeds of the Spirit. But that's not what Paul does. Paul, Paul contrasts 
the outward deeds of the flesh with the inward fruit of the Spirit. What does that tell you? That tells you that God doesn't just want our outward behavior. He wants our hearts. And so it's like, you know, I, you know, I could say, well, I haven't beat up anybody lately. I haven't been drunk in decades. Man, I'm doing good. No, it's like, um, can Phil Fernandez be described as a loving man? Do I have the joy of the Lord regardless of the situations, you know? I mean, I got, I got two good jobs right now. I got my wife by my side. I got a house. We're making all our payments. That's easy to have joy. You take away my jobs, you take away my home, it might be hard for me to have joy. Love, joy, peace, that freedom from stress, that, that, that harmony, long-suffering or, or patience or endurance, kindness, am I kind to others, goodness, faithfulness, am I a faithful friend to others? Gentleness, am I gentle with other people? Self-control. Do I have self-control? And, um, and so Paul is telling the Ephesians, look, this is what you were, the, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, uh, but now that you've been saved, all this other stuff is going to come out. Paul's going to mention that in verse 10. Okay? In fact, you just look at, after he talks about being saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and we're going to probably talk about this, and I don't think we'll get to it today. For we are his workmanship. After saying, we're not saved by works, we're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, he says, for we are his workmanship. We get the word poem from the Greek word. We're God's poem, God's painting, God's work of art, God's sculpture. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're new creations in Christ. For what purpose? For the purpose of good works, of, of uh, serving God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't know about you, but I don't always wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and look like God's work of art. And I'm not talking about physical look, okay? Um, but we're God's work of art. Now, he's not finished with us. But I'm sure if, uh, if you were watching the painting of the Mona Lisa, it would look beautiful even before it was finished. Okay? And um, um, so that's... He, Paul is saying, look, this is who you were before. You served yourself. You worshipped yourself. You, commit, you, had, you lusted in the, in the flesh. You, you had the lust of the mind. You were children of God's anger. Now that you've been saved by grace, you don't deserve it. You should look like God's work of art. Okay? Um... You know, I, I'm sure there's been times when I've talked with somebody, even another believer, and then I walk away and they say, man, what a work of art. But they didn't mean it the way Paul means it here, okay? We want people to say, wow, my Christian brother, my Christian sister, what a work of art. And so, sometimes, by the way, don't be too hard on people. You might, there's some people in this room, you might bump into them and meet them at Walmart or something, you know, and you might say, man, Guy's a guy's a believer, but he's a little gruff. Okay, just just keep in mind. Um, if you knew some of us before we got saved, okay, we got like a lot of military vets here and stuff. If you knew some of us before we got saved, okay, then you might see how ungruff we'd become. But God's still working on us, okay? So every once in a while, just keep that in mind. I still had a foul mouth the first two years I got saved. Like I say, while well, I was in the Marine Corps, day one, though, I stopped hitting people, okay? Um, I stopped 
doing other things as well um, in, involving money. I don't want to talk about that, but um, I was being my own little kind of thug, and God stopped the real big stuff, and he was working on me. If I cooperated, I would have probably stopped cursing on day one, but it took a couple years, you know. I don't know, Cease, if you remember, but, um, you know, I used to meet with these Christians in the Catholic Charismatic Movement where I got saved. And um, they used to ask, how you, they call me Ferno, they said, how you doing, Ferno? And I'd stop and think for a minute, I'm doing pretty good, how are you doing? And it was, but there was this built-in delay. And what I, what I had to do was I had to rehearse every response just from growing up in New Jersey and then being a Marine, I had to rehearse every sentence and delete all the curse words, practice it once or twice until I felt confident enough to then answer the question. And um, so I'm not telling you go out there and, and judge everybody. What I'm saying is go out there and examine yourself. Examine your conscience. Okay? You be gracious to brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, but you know, you know who you were before you found Jesus. Are you still controlled by the lust of the flesh? Are you still controlled by the desires of the flesh and by the desires of the mind? Are you still a child of wrath, a son or a daughter of disobedience? Or is, is the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit evident in your life? Okay? And so now let's look at, uh, this, is, this is who we were. Before we came to Jesus, who we once were. Now, verses 4 to 6, Paul talks about what God did. Okay? What God did. So, Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, spiritually dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he tells us that God who is rich in mercy. Let me tell you, what mercy and grace are two opposite sides of the same coin. If you say that I'm saved by God's mercy, that's true. If you say I'm saved by God's grace, that's true. Okay? Grace, you receive something good that you don't deserve. It's God's unmerited favor. Okay? Mercy, on the other hand, you're spared something bad that you deserve. So by God's mercy, we're spared spared from the eternal flames of hell even though we've earned it by grace we receive the eternal life that we don't deserve so it'd be like if a king if a king calls you up to him and says uh, to his throne and says uh, you don't deserve it you're poor you, you never worked but um, uh, I'm going to be uh, gracious to you I'm going to give you five acres of land for nothing. That's grace. Okay? Mercy, when a king gives you mercy, he says, look, we, we got you on a crime. We're supposed to execute you tomorrow. I'm going to pardon you. Okay? Well, he, that, so that's mercy. You're spared the punishment you deserve. Grace, you're given the good thing that you don't deserve. So you can say you're saved by God's mercy or you're saved by God's grace. Either way, he's sparing us eternal damnation, which we deserve, but he's freely giving us eternal life, which we don't deserve. And so, God is rich in mercy. I'm, I'm telling you something. We ought to shout that from the rooftops, that our God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Christianity, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Peter, Paul, and John, our God is rich in mercy. 
Okay, if there's a guy on death row and the governor pardons him, you think he doesn't care that his governor is rich in mercy? We deserve the flames of hell. If our God wasn't rich in mercy, we wouldn't even be here today. By the way, search, read the Quran, the Muslim quote-unquote holy book. Look for mercy there. Anytime you see the word mercy, you know, for God is loving and merciful, it always follows a passage where, you know, like Muhammad, Surah 9.5, uh, if the infidel converts, converts to Islam, or at least pays the tax, pays one-fortieth of his income, don't kill him, for Allah is loving and merciful. It's like, well, I mean, you really got it. Muhammad really had to tell his guys, hey, wait, guys, if they convert, don't kill them. Because it was like they understood. The early Muslims, if we just kill the people and don't try to witness to them about the Islamic faith, we get all their property, all their goods, all their gold, all their houses, all their ladies, okay? However, if they convert, we only get one-fortieth of it in the alms, giving of alms. Um, even if they don't convert, they can pay alms. And you're not supposed to wipe them out. Well, Muhammad was having difficulty. How am I going to build a big religion in my own kingdom if my guys are killing people and they're not even trying to convince them to become Muslims? But that's the kind of mercy you're going to get in Islam. If you're looking for mercy, you're not going to find it bowing before the false god of Islam. But the God of the Bible is rich in mercy. We all got to reach that point in life where it's like, man, I need mercy. You better hope and pray that a merciful God exists. And he does. The God of the Bible is rich in mercy. And then because of his great love, love Agape love is seeking the greatest good for others and expecting nothing in return. God saved us because he's merciful, because he's loving. Um, and then, there in verse 5, by grace you have been saved, because he is gracious. He's willing to give us the free gift of salvation that we don't deserve. And, uh, and so, but God, who is rich in mercy, spares us the judgment we deserve because of his great love with which he loved us. By the way, he, God loves us not because we're so lovable. When you got saved, it was not like, you know, the angels are rejoicing when you got saved, but it's not because, wow, this guy brings a lot to the table. Okay. If you think you bring a lot to the table, that's like, wow, you know, kingdom of God is going to do a lot better now that it's got me, you know? I mean, these guys, like, the NFL football players, you pick up a guy in free agency or a draft, and, they, and sometimes they think, man, maybe this guy will get us a Super Bowl. Tampa Bay picked up some, some old man named Tom Brady and thought in the first year they're going to get a Super Bowl. Guess what? That happened, okay? It doesn't happen with the kingdom of God. You know, and that's one of the that's a humbling thing to realize we, we got nothing to offer God. You know, Jesus said, Apart from me you can do nothing. He didn't say apart from me you could do a little, apart from me you can do nothing. Okay? And um, so it's not that God loves us because we're so lovable. God's got the ability to love that which is unlovable. Okay? Humanly speaking, we're pretty much unlovable, okay? But God's got the ability to love that which is unlovable. And, um, um, and so by his mercy and his love, even when we were dead, separated from God in our trespasses, in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. So it's by grace that we're saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
So he gave us spiritual life. Zoe in the Greek. We're spiritually alive. His resurrection guarantees the future resurrection uh, of all believers. As he rose from the dead to immortality, our mortal bodies will put on immortality when Jesus returns. And so by accepting Christ, we're no longer spiritually dead. We're no longer separated from God. The Holy Spirit has fellowship with our spirit and we become spiritually alive. And then he says that, uh, Paul says that we're seated. God has seated us in the heavenly realm with Christ. So, this is talking about, remember verses 3 to 14? I know it was a long time ago when we covered Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, where God has given us, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is who we really are. That is what we really have. Okay? We are seated at the Father's right hand with the Lord Jesus. Now, does it feel that way? No. Does it look that way? No. But the fact of the matter, we, we need to recognize who we are in Christ, not so that we could become arrogant, but so that we could become grateful. Do you, does anybody here think that, that you or I deserve to be seated in heavenly places with Christ? We don't. We don't. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. If I stayed in Jersey and, you know, tried to do, you know, tried to be, uh, you know, a tough guy and this and that, if I would have died at the age of 25 face down in a puddle because I ticked off the wrong guy, that still would have been better than I deserved. And now you're telling me that some punk from New Jersey is now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? You think Joe and Angie's little boy deserves that? You think you deserve that? No. You know, too often we want what, you know, I just want what I earned. I want what I deserve. It's called hell. But we have a God who's rich in mercy. We have a God who's rich in love. We have a God who's rich in grace, charity, unmerited favor. And just as a punk from New Jersey, I'm, I'm telling you, I weighed 125 pounds soaking wet when I graduated high school. Of course, I was, I was boxing in, a, in that weight class, but I'm telling you, you weigh 125 pounds and you're a big talker. You don't have enough meat to back what you're saying. There was not a really bright future for me. And, um, but a God of mercy, a God of grace, a God of love could take a punk from New Jersey and save him and change him and seat him in the heavenly places with Christ. And he's done that to many of us here. I hope all of us here. I hope we're all trusting in Jesus for salvation. But, um, but it would be like, um, you know, racing to the top of Mount Everest. And um, all these other guys are just climbing and doing all the stuff they do. Fighting the weather and stuff. And uh, some guy in an air-conditioned helicopter just flies me out. I don't know how to fly a helicopter and just drops me on the top. And it'd be like me standing there saying, I won, I won, I won. Uh, no, that'd be, that'd be grace. Okay, and, um, and this is all a grace. We got a God who's rich in mercy, um, rich in love, rich in grace, and we don't, uh, we don't deserve it. He seated us and in heavenly places in, um, 
in Christ Jesus. And, um, uh, you know, by the way, growing up in Jersey, you know, I, I pretend to be a tough guy. And I act like I thought I was a tough guy. And I wouldn't cry in public. Now I'm a Christian. I cry all the time. But, um, but sometimes I cry myself to sleep because I knew I was a fake. I knew I was a phony. Okay? And, um, but it's not what we bring to the table. We got nothing to offer God. He's got everything to offer us. And so that's who we were and then what God did. And then why did God do it? Why God saved us? There's not enough preaching on this, on why did God save us. Look at verse uh, 7. So he, he saved us by his mercy, his love, and his grace, not by our works. And then he raised us up, seated us in heavenly place in Christ Jesus, verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God save us? He saved us to display his grace throughout the ages to come. The ages. that You know, you got the, the millennial kingdom when Jesus is going to come back and reign on earth for a thousand years. You have eternity, future. Those are the known ages to come. I mean, if God's got more things in store, that's, that's his business. Okay? He's running the show, not me. And... Um, but for the ages to come, you realize the angels are going to look at us and say, wow. You know, Paul says we're going to judge the angels. We're going to reign with Christ. We're going to reign over the angels. There's going to be angels saying, man, you know, that guy was a bag of worms. Look what God's grace did to him. What a work of art. Now that guy stands in judgment over me. God's work of art. That's where he... He's seven is going. He's going to pick that up in verse ten. That we're God's workmanship, God's poem, God's work of art, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should live in Him. Um, the angels will see God's grace displayed in us throughout the ages to come. See, all, all the eyes in the universe are already on us. This cosmic battle for the souls of human beings is being fought by God and his good angels and Satan and his fallen angels. And why is God saving us? To display his glory and his grace through it. We're going to be God's work of art. And he's, just, he's still painting the Mona Lisa right now. He's not done with any of us. But the day will come and we'll be that finished uh, project and um, but God you know the thing is too is if I do something for my own glory to display the work of my hands that's called arrogance it'd be a conceited prideful guy self-centered okay and so I've had atheists say well then when God if God created us for his glory and if he made us new creations in Christ for his glory, so he gets all the glory and all the honor and all the praise for turning us into, transforming us into a work of art, then that's wrong for God. No, it's not wrong for God. See, when I'm prideful and arrogant, you know why that's a sin? Because I'm acting like I'm God. And guess what? I'm not. When God acts like he's God... That's just God being God. Okay? He deserves all the glory, all the honor. That's why, you know, and I'll, be cl I'll close with this, but that's why I'm, I'm, I'm like 99% on board with the what would Jesus do movement. Okay? Because 99% of the time, you should do what Jesus would do. Okay? But every once in a while, it doesn't work. Okay? Like, for instance, if you're college Christian guy, you meet a college Christian gal, you got so much in common, you've been dating for a while and you're thinking, you know what, should I marry this lady? And then you think, well what would Jesus do? And Jesus wouldn't get married. 
because he's God the Son, become a man to die on the cross for the sins of mankind. He's got too important a stuff to do, okay? He can't miss the Sermon on the Mount because the wife and the kids have the flu, okay? Um, you're walking down the street, a guy bows down and starts worshiping you. What would Jesus do? He'd say, bring it on. That's why I created you. You do that, you're a blasphemer, okay? So sometimes it doesn't apply, but we got to understand God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit deserves all the glory, all the honor, all the praise, deserves worship because he is God. There is a God, you're not him, he's the one who deserves to be worshipped. And someday, high-ranking angels, even Michael the Archangel and Gabriel, are going to look at us. Well, I'll tell you, right now, we look like a motley crew next to Michael the Archangel and his boys. Okay? Um, someday, they're going to look at us if we're trusting in Jesus. They're going to shake their heads. We're going to be on display God's work of art for all eternity. And they're not going to glory, give glory to us. They're going to give glory to God. Say, wow, the work that you did in that guy or that gal. You know what, brothers and sisters? Let's start cooperating with the Holy Spirit right now. If we're trusting in Jesus for salvation, let's start acting like we're slaves to righteousness. We're not slaves to sin anymore. You don't have to bring back the old you. Satan would love, you know, the old Phil Fernandez to rear his ugly head time and time again. The old Phil Fernandez is dead. The old you is dead. If you're trusting in Jesus for salvation, let people see the work of art that God is working on. You're a new creation in Christ. And uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just love you, Lord, and uh, we just thank you for being so good to us. We thank you um, for saving us in the midst of our sin. We thank you for your Holy Spirit moving within our hearts to bring us to that place where we could say yes to your saving grace and we could trust in Jesus alone for salvation. But we thank you that you don't leave us orphans. You indwell us with the Holy Spirit. And you want to fill us with your spirit and control us with your spirit so that you can guide us throughout life and empower us to be all that you called us to be. And so I pray, Lord, that who we once were, we don't act that way anymore. We no longer have the, the, the lust of the flesh and the, the, the lustful desires of the mind. I pray, Lord, that um, the fruit of the spirit, your fruit, uh, would would be uh, born in our lives so we would be people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But we understand, Lord, that when you saved us, it was by your grace alone. It was a free gift. We didn't earn it, and it was through faith alone. We trusted in your son, Jesus, alone for salvation. It was not of works. And so I pray, Lord, you, your word says, we'll see it in the weeks to come, that we're not to boast about our salvation. Um, we're not to boast about ourselves. We have nothing to boast about because we don't deserve heaven. But then your word says, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. And so may we be a boastful people not boastful of ourselves, for we deserve damnation, but that we would be boastful about our God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May we boast in God and bring Him glory until that day when the Lord Jesus takes His stand upon the earth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right.